I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. We're pretty messed up, hey! We're pretty messed up, hey! Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pretty Messed Up on iHeartRadio. Uh, I am your host, AJ McLean, with my beautiful co-host in a snazzy denim jacket today. I like it. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Bay Area, yeah. Miss Cher Bear, Cheryl Burke. Hello. Hey. And my, un- my amazingly, handsomely talented, tank-topped, nippled-out yes. <laughs> uh, best friend from another mother who's literally 30 feet away from me. Mr. Rene Elizondo. So, so glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, so, um, you know. Missed you too. I, I, I miss you all. Well, you I see almost every day, Rene, but Cheryl, we, 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 we got to do something here, babe. Like, we got to, like, hang let's out. Do, now that, let's race let's car, go to my yeah, house. Or, yeah, or yeah, let's do a little sure. lunch and that boating and island. I've and been watching rope Formula, swing. that Formula yes. One show on Netflix. I want to oh, be yeah. a race car driver now. You already kind of are. I followed you to rehearsal one day, and I almost lost you because you drive like a lunatic. Um, oh, it's so fun. I know you like you literally. I was kind of like, wow, she's just just blatant disregard for the other six cars she just cut off. I love it. Probably, I take out all my anger from the rehearsal onto the streets. Oh yeah, because you because you're from the streets. <laughs> you're so hardcore. I I'm love it. so hardcore. Um. So yeah. Uh. You know, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat around the bush for the elephant in the room. Um, you know, uh, so let me just backtrack really quickly. So, uh, myself, Renee, my buddy Zaya and my brother-in-law Perry, we all took a trip to Zion, uh, about two weeks ago. We went to go mountain biking and go hiking and it was like very spiritual, um, just a fun, incredible trip. We miss it already. We can't wait to go back. Um, especially one of the hikes that we want to go back and make our bitch because it literally kicked our ass. 
Um, <clears throat> and then right after that, uh, the boys dropped me off in Vegas. I had a charity event um, for Victoria's Voice uh, Foundation, uh, which is David Siegel's foundation. Uh, he's the founder of Westgate Properties. Uh, he lost his daughter to a drug overdose when she was 18 years old. Um, so uh, while I was in Vegas, my parents live in Vegas. I moved them there about four years ago. And Friday night, um, about a week and a half ago, Friday night, I went and had dinner with my parents. Everything is normal. Everything is Gucci. Uh, cut two, I fly home on Sunday, Monday night. Um, my wife and I sleep with our phones on vibrate. So, you know, cause we don't get a lot of sleep anyways when you have children. And, uh, my alarm went off at, and, uh, for my front door, which means somebody's in the house. So my wife wakes me up. I'm freaking out. I don't have any kind of weapon except a baseball bat. I didn't even go for the baseball bat. I just creeped out of my bedroom and looked and I see this black silhouette at the bottom of my stairs. I'm freaking out. And then I see this arm go up and a phone light come on and it's my brother-in-law. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? It's like almost midnight. What's up? And you know, when you could just tell something's wrong, like he was walking up the stairs abnormally slow and he looked me in the eye. He almost couldn't even say it. And he said, uh, your stepdad passed away. What? And I was like, hold on. What are you talking about? And, uh, my mom had tried to call my wife and I, uh, for about 45 minutes until she finally got through to my brother-in-law and my mother-in-law. And, uh, and yeah, he, uh, he had a massive heart attack. Thank you. He had a massive heart attack. Um, you know, he had been struggling for quite some time. He had had at least four strokes in the past two years. Um, was dealing with different types of uh, cancerous things and whatnot, um, which he overcame, but was always on medication for something. But um, when I reached out to the team, uh, our amazing producers and Amy and Danielle and Riley and everybody, you know, I asked if we could specifically mm-hmm. today have someone on um, that is an expert in the world of grief, because I could tell you right now, uh, I haven't really had that that cry yet i haven't Mm -hmm. had that you know whether it's denial and i can't wait to ask our guest about all Mm -hmm. the phases of of grief so i'm so um, sorry aj seriously my heart goes out to you and your family thank you babe thank you um so uh on that note i wish we're starting the show off in a little bit better happy mood but uh you know death is a part of life i do know this we all know this um but I want to bring our guest on right now. Um, David Kessler is one of the world's foremost experts on grief and loss. His experience with thousands of people on the edge of life and death has taught him the secrets to living a happy and fulfilled life, even after life's tragedies. He is the author of six books, including the new best-selling book, Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief. He co-authored two books with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Life Lessons and on Grief and Grieving. Updating her five stages for grief. He also co-wrote You Can Heal Your Heart with Louise Hay. He also wrote Visions, Trips in Crowded Rooms. And his first book, The Needs of the Dying, received praise from St. Mother Teresa herself. So, uh, on behalf of myself 
and my co-hosts, I would love to bring in Mr. David Kessler to the show. Welcome, welcome. Hey. Hello, Hello David. Glad David. to be here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'll, I'll do a little round robin. My name is AJ. Um, my beautiful co-host, Cheryl Burke, and my other handsome co-host, Mr. <laughs> Renee Elizondo. Hello. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to dive right in. Uh, okay. So um, I literally lost my stepfather about a week ago. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I've experienced death in my, in my lifetime, uh, both my grandparents. Um, you know, when I lost my grandmother, um, I was heavily, heavily into my disease of addiction and, and alcoholism. So I never grieved properly. Um, and cut to when my grandfather passed a few years after I was about two years sober at the time. So things were a little different for me, the way I was approaching things. Um, Renee has lost two brothers and Cheryl has lost her father. So all of us here have experienced loss. We're all um, dying to talk to you. No pun intended. And, and so, yes. Yeah, so I, I reached out to our amazing team and I asked for the best there is. And you, sir, are that. So, um, all tell right, I hope I can live up to that. I will do well, my best. <laughs> it's all, Hey, um, we've all done our research. You have quite, quite an amazing track record. Um, thank you again for being on the show. Sure. Um, you know, I think first off, um, can you give our listeners just a little backstory as to why specifically grief and loss is something that you, that you kind of major in, if you will. Sure. You know, it's not a profession that I think, you know, you sort of go to, I want to be a fireman or a doctor or a grief expert. It, it sort of chose me more than I chose it. When I was growing up, I had a mother who was ill. And when she was dying, when I was about 13, at the hotel where we were across the street, a fire broke out, fire trucks pulled up. And then it turned out shooting start shooting started, it turned out to be an active shooter, was one of the first mass shootings in the US that I saw. And then my mother died without us being there. Mm -hmm. So with all that happening, I either needed to find a way to heal myself or just get lost. And thankfully I was able to heal myself and make this a career where I help others and uh, have tried to do that for decades. And continue to learn every day. Well, that's, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's interesting how, um, I mean, most, most cases that I've ever, you know, experienced, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, a friend of a friend losing someone, um, or you read about things, it tends to be like what you said, some type of a catastrophic event that then leads you down the path of wanting to know more, wanting to be able to help others, um, to understand. Um, and you know, the, I probably the biggest question I'll ask, and then I'll open it up to everybody else is, uh, and, 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 and this is a question I have for, for all of our listeners, as well as for myself right now, because my mom, you know, my mom and my stepdad would have been celebrating 20 years together come this November. Um, 
And, you know, Renee and I flew back to Vegas to go be with my mom. Uh, Renee just to be a, you know, support for me, uh, which I much, much appreciate, as does my family. Thank you for that, bro. Um, you know, watching my mom go through, like, in a three-day period, I feel like every emotion there possibly could be. She was hysterically crying one minute, laughing hysterically the next, um, a little dazed and confused and lost. Um, what are what are the actual stages of grief? Because I feel like I, like I was telling, you know, Cheryl and, uh, you know, Renee before you came on, I haven't really cried yet. I haven't really had that, you know, emo- like true emotional breakdown moment. The closest I got was telling my daughters that their grandpa died. My oldest was upset. My youngest is four. She didn't really understand. So what are the stages of grief? So first of all, that portrayal of your mother is probably as accurate as it gets. That is what grief looks like. It's messy. It's organic. One moment we're crying, we're laughing, we can't cry. That is what grief looks like. My co-author of a couple of books, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, is the woman who identified the stages. They are denial. It's the, I can't believe they're gone. Then we go to anger. We're so pissed that they're gone. Bargaining is the, wait, if only we had done that, if only I had done this, the what ifs and the if onlys. Depression, which is the sadness Mm -hmm. and acceptance. Now, the one thing her and I always point out to people the media has tried to reduce those unknowingly, I think, to five easy steps for grief. They don't occur linearly like that. The reality is I cannot believe someone's gone in one moment. The next moment I can be angry. The next moment I can have a period of acceptance and then go right back to anger. Mm -hmm. So there's no map for grief. There's no one right way to do grief. Mm -hmm. And, The last piece you were kind enough to mention my latest book is around my younger son a few years ago died unexpectedly of an addiction that he had struggled with for years. And when that happened, I couldn't stop at acceptance. I just felt like I needed more. And that's when my research began on the concept of finding meaning. And to me, meaning is the sixth stage of grief. Mm. that we're a generation it's not just about they died all right accept it how can we honor them how can we never forget them how can we make the world a world that sort of cherishes them or safer for others so that's sort of how the the stages lay out and i caution people use them if they're helpful if not it's completely fine there's no one right model for grief and there's no time frame, I'm sure. Is that there's correct? There's no timeline. You know, when people say to me, how long is my sister, my mm-hmm. brother, my mom going to grieve? I always say, how long is a person going to be dead? Because mm. if they're going to be dead Forever. for a long time, you're going to grieve for a long time. Yeah. The key, though, is to know in time, you can grieve with more love than pain. It right. takes time. No prescription for that. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know. I was going to say, it, 
I, I agree with you. I, I, I think grieving is a personalized thing, right? right? Like if, um, so I have one brother that took his own life and I found him, right? And then I had to tell my parents and that oh. came with trauma in it of itself was telling my parents. I remember my wife driving me to my parents' house and just kept telling her, slow down, slow down. I don't ever want to get to my parents' house. Mm -hmm. I don't, ever, like, keep slowing down. So, but if you had told me then, if you had told me before I lost any brothers, like, oh, someone lost their brother and he wore his brother's T-shirt for seven days, I would have said, that's crazy. And that's what I did. I found his favorite T-shirt and I put it on. And I didn't take it off for seven days, you know. And so I do understand this sort of, you never you never know till you're in it. You can mm -hmm. try to conceptualize it. You could try to analyze it from a distance. But until it happens, you know, I've never experienced anything mm -hmm. so powerless. I never felt so powerless, right? Like no matter what I said or did, I wasn't going to bring them back, you know. And I... You brought up some really important points there that number one, every single person, even siblings in a family will experience grief differently because we all had a different relationship with the person. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, when you talk about the shirt, you know, we all have opinions on what to do and what you should do. None of us knows what this is like until we're in it. Right. Do you, mm -hmm. would you say grief changes you? Cause when my father died, I actually went from being or actively drinking because he, he was an alcoholic to actually quitting cold turkey. And I think that has a lot to do with it. It does change us. It does. And, you know, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, there's no sort of, you know, there's mm -hmm. no rule on that. And it's interesting. Sometimes people will say, can you just help me? I want to get my old friend back or mm -hmm. get them to be the person they were. And I'll go, they can't be the person they were anymore. They've been changed. You know, grief changes us. Do you know one one other thing? I was uh, I was I was going to say, yeah. I ended up getting um, three missed calls at one in the morning from AJ. I didn't see him till like eight o'clock in the morning, and I was like, oh my god, what happened? Because I'm mm -hmm. still, I'm not going to lie to you, I still have some like <laughs> PTSD from losing Trauma. two brothers. Yeah. And then, and then I get a missed call from his management. Mm -hmm. and, I'm, and so I try to call AJ right away. He's not picking up. And I told my wife, I don't know what to do. And she's like, call his wife. So I called Rochelle. And then Rochelle brought me up to speed. And what happened? And I said, well, AJ, we got to go to Vegas like as soon as possible. The one thing I did learn is when you lose somebody new, I mean, when, when you lose somebody, uh, it's so important to not try to mm -hmm. fly solo with it, mm -hmm. right? Not fly solo with it. And at throw in one more layer of complication here is AJ is fairly new in his sobriety. Flying to Vegas, fairly mm -hmm. new in your sobriety, to deal with death, I felt like you can't go there by yourself. I said, it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be me, but it's got to be Rochelle, yeah. it's got to be Perry, it's got to be someone. Not to say he was skating on thin ice, but I do know the addict mind, and I do understand the profundity of losing someone, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So I think, I think something that, you know, I know my, my wife mentioned this to me, I think it was a day or two ago, you know, she's, she's struggling with that 
I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not sure where this lays in those six phases of grief, but the, you know, obviously the pandemic hit, changed everything for everybody. Um, you know, my stepdad was pretty consistently ill, so he was frail. So obviously, you know, we couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Um, you know, they got vaccinated. We got vaccinated. There was still a window of time that after everybody got vaccinated, we could have seen them sooner. But again, my stepdad got sick again and these things and he couldn't travel and we were busy on it. So she's dealing with that kind of, you know, that feeling of like, damn, you know, I wish, I wish we could have gone there sooner. Um, and she's, and she can't seem to find a reason why we didn't. And, but there, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty black and white why we didn't, but she's battling that in her mind of, you know, why, why didn't we just go? I mean, feeling you know, guilty. You're saying yeah, she's been yeah, feeling guilty. guilty. And here's exactly. the thing about that. We would always rather feel guilty than helpless. Yeah. Our mind wants to try to find some control. Mm -hmm. Oh, we screwed up by not doing this. Mm -hmm. The thing that she's doing that all of us do is we take what we know now that he was going to die and we blame ourselves for not knowing it. Of course, if anyone said to you, by the way, he's going to die soon. Oh, my gosh, you would have been there. Right. Well, mm -hmm. We don't live our lives to like everyone might die tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And of course right. they might but it's not a frantic state we can really live in. We would just be rotating around trying to see everyone all the time. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark 
more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Do you think grieving is is something that is like meant to be like self-contained journey or do you think it is something that needs that needs to be shared with others or does it or or in your experience is it different for everyone or do you think both of those things are are helpful to help someone grieve by sharing it with with someone else maybe a family member or not family member and then also dealing with your own stuff it's both there's something that grief needs to be witnessed. We want someone else to see our pain, our struggle. We need to have it witnessed. Now, the problem people encounter is we, of course, assume our closest friend, our spouse, our best friend will be the person that gets it. And sometimes the person next to us is the one person that doesn't get what we're going mm -hmm. through. That's why since the beginning of time, I mean, I have online grief groups, because people in grief know on another level, they're the only ones that can understand it. Mm -hmm. Like people don't know what it's like to lose a sibling, no. but right. you know, Cheryl, yeah. and when you talk to someone else who's had a sibling die, you two have a language that the rest of us don't. My, my father died, but um, yeah, no, I, I hear you for sure. Um, I was wondering if I, like, I have a lot of unanswered questions. Um, my father lived in Thailand and like AJ and Renee, you know, I dropped everything and my now husband and I went to Thailand um, and there was so many unanswered questions. Um, can you get to all six stages with unanswered questions like this? Great yes. question. Yes. And part of our work is to move from the why Mm -hmm. to the how That's we the part. often get stuck oh brutal in the why did this happen and i can tell you you rarely find a why mm. and even the people who get some why maybe the doctor explains all the whys no one in all my decades has ever told me oh i got a really satisfying why no way it's yeah. never going to be a satisfying why so you eventually have to work towards you don't know why, but how can you move forward now in a way that honors him, right. in a way that honors you? I mean, I even saw a medium. I was like, I was going, because there was no reasoning for his death, right? So it was two different um, causes of death, which was crazy. And Thailand is different, obviously, than here in the States. Right. Um, and so 
I remember being like an investigator and just trying so hard to find answers and it was impossible. Mm -hmm. So I had to let and go. Sometimes or... people will make you wrong for that. They'll go, what's the point? Quit asking questions. And I'm like, you got to ask questions mm -hmm. in the beginning. We all mm -hmm. do that. You got to be a detective. Mm -hmm. Totally. Well, some people okay. don't, don't some people that like, I mean, I've, I've had friends that like, just like you, Cheryl, that, you know, wanted to want to have certain things answered. Mm -hmm. And then unfortunately, when they got those answers, it, they didn't like the results. And it right. almost, it, it almost yeah. tainted yeah. their view of that person more, or in some cases it actually gave them closure. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, so it's, I think that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you know, you. I went, I went through different stages, um, because my brother took his own life, and I understand now that the survivors always ask themselves, what could I have said differently? What signs did I not see? Da, da, da. Mm -hmm. But I remember, I, I, I definitely agree, we look for solace with answers. And I remember my dad and I were driving to empty my brother's home. Uh, and of course, we're both crying on the way there. And my brother suffered from, you know, severe depression. And it occurred to me that the, the vision that I saw was the people that were jumping out of the Twin Towers, right? They didn't jump because they were bored. They jumped because they couldn't take the pain of burning to death, right? And it occurred to me that my brother, his flames were not visible to us. They were internal because I was so angry like people, you know, a lot of people are when seeing my parents getting ripped apart from this. I was so angry at him at first. The only way I was able to find some relief from the anger was to realize that he, he didn't see another way. He, his right. flames were burning internally. So I remember on the drive to my, my brother's home, uh, I said to my dad, I said, let me ask you a question, dad. And, and he said, yeah. And I said, if God himself, if there is this God entity, whatever, came down and asked you personally, said, if he told you personally, I will give you your son back, but I have to return him with the pain he was in. Would you accept Oof. that from God? And my dad said, no, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And that somehow brought peace to both of us. Mm that he was resting. He's no longer suffering from these internal flames. So that's what I've been able to tell some people who have lost people to suicide is that they didn't do it because people take it personally, right? right? It's almost mm -hmm. like, how could you do that to us? Like, I would never they do that do to anybody. Right. Exactly. You know, and it's like, so I was able to finally get peace with it and not be so angry at him when I realized like, it's kind of selfish of me to want him to continue in his pain just so I don't have to feel mm -hmm. the loss, right? Anyways. That helps, and, Renee. Thank you. And here's the concept that you, and I can tell you've done a lot of work on this. The concept that some people don't get, that clearly you get, is people think people who die by suicide were choosing death. And mm -hmm. they don't realize they were trying to manage unbearable pain yes they were trying to manage pain and by the way for any of your listeners who are dealing with a death by suicide uh if they go to griefsuicide.com there's a free three-part class they can take that i created because it is That's so great. brutal what people go through yeah i mean well, I, one of the things also that's 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 been um 
it's been kind of going back and forth in my head is, you know, I have an eight year old and a four year old girls. Um, and my oldest, you know, when, when the moment came to explain that grandpa passed away, I couldn't mutter the words. My wife was like, if you want me to, I'll tell her. And she got very emotional because literally the end of next week, we're going to Vegas for nationals. My oldest is in, is doing nationals, which is the biggest dance competition that there is for that type of age group. And, you know, up to like 18 years old. Um, and we haven't seen they they haven't seen their grandparents in a year and a half now because of, you know, COVID. So the other day, my oldest like walked out of her dance class and she called mommy crying because she was upset. And then she went back in, everything was fine. And then she called her again, like an hour later. Um, how, how, how would you suggest it's best to try to explain grief to an eight year old? I know my four year old, she's not there yet. And, and I, I'm, I'm not even going to, excuse me, try to explain it to her because I, What's so endearing, and, and, and even my mom loves it and doesn't want her to, to even think of re, rewording it, is my youngest told her big sister, don't worry, you could still send your dance videos to grandpa in heaven. Mm. And, you know, even though that's not a thing, but it's, it's still a thing because he's <laughs> everywhere. He can see. But how, how would you suggest I approach explaining grief to an eight-year-old? Because I don't think she understands why these emotions are kind of coming and going in these waves. Right. So the most important thing to do with children is not lie to them, not use euphemisms. You know, grandpa hasn't gone to a long sleep or a long trip or any of that stuff. People say, you just got to be honest and say he died. And with a young child, when they go, what does that mean? You know, you might say that, well, they don't drink anymore. They don't, you know, eat anymore. They've gone to heaven. It just might be simple. And we don't try to over-explain it. The other thing that's so important that you're doing, and it is painful. We want our kids to be happy. We don't want to see them in pain. But your children are going to go through loss in their life, just like us. And so you have two things to teach your children, how to grieve and how to live. So you teach them by you demonstrating, you cry one moment, and then you continue life the next. You're angry one moment, and then you continue life. Mm. That's how grief is. Is that what you mean by there's no way, you say there's no way out of the pain than through the pain? Correct. Correct. You just, you just have to do it. You know, I don't have a magic way to tell people to get rid of the pain. One of the things in Finding Meaning that I researched that I never thought I'd be researching in my life was buffaloes. Mm -hmm. Buffaloes, when they sense a storm coming, they run into the storm. Mm -hmm. And they run into the storm because they know they can't escape it and they want to minimize their time. Us, on the other hand, we think we can maybe escape grief by running from it. But the reality is the pain just sits there. And people aren't avoiding the pain because they're bad. It's because we don't know how to deal with emotions. I mean, you know, when we talk about addiction, it's, it's what we do to not deal with feelings. Not because we're bad, 
but because those feelings hurt. Do you find that with addicts, it's harder for them to grieve? I think they really need the extra support to know it is going to be painful and you're not going to do it alone. And I think people are really surprised that a lot of the things that I teach around grief, they're going to go, that's kind of 12 step. And I'm like, grief work in 12 steps very much alike. Do you know, it, Cheryl, I was going to say, it depends. Are we talking an addict in recovery or right, an addict that's still right. out there? Because totally. right. I, yeah. I yeah. found out the hard way, right? right? right. Well, there's, there's different grieving, right? Death. Mm-hmm. And then let's say grieving a relationship, a loss, right? Yeah. Which is also mm-hmm. hurts a lot, Grief. right? Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember I sorely underestimated drug use. I got really bad news about a relationship, really bad news. And my thought was, because I, I was struggling to stay sober, I was sober at the time, got terrible news. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to call a doctor, I'm going to get seven painkillers. So I'm going to take one every day. And then by the eighth day, I will have already grieved the relationship. Wow. <laughs> Turns out it doesn't work. It doesn't work, work okay? that way. It's, yeah. literally, it's literally waiting for you. Yeah. To yeah. not be no, high. But, you know, I think it's, I think it's, you know, uh, like you mentioned earlier, Renee, you know, me, me not going back to Vegas uh, without, you know, someone to kind of lean on, even though the, the thought of relapse is not even in my brain and it's not something that I want to do or think is going to be beneficial because I know the last thing my mom needs on top mm. of what she's already dealing with is for her son to be out again and worrying, is he going to end up dead tomorrow morning from a drug overdose or drinking or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. But, you know, uh, what I think is interesting now is that, you know, when my, when my grandmother passed away, I was knee deep in it and I didn't, I used the drugs and the drinking to quote unquote cope with the, you know, pain of loss. Uh, I didn't, I didn't grieve until years later mm-hmm. did I grieve the death of my grandmother. Um, but now, like I said, I, I still haven't had that big emotional moment yet. I'm questioning myself. Like, is there something wrong with me? Did I not have as much of a connection with my stepdad, even though I know I did. Um, but what I, what I do like is the fact that I'm aware of the feelings I'm feeling right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not avoiding them like I did before, Mm -hmm. but I don't know, like, you know, I'm starting to question, like, is there something wrong with my relationship with my stepdad? Why am I not having that, that sobbing moment? Why, you know, let's talk about this. this. I'm, I'm in the same boat and it's been two years. Okay. So here's the thing. We have a picture of what grief looks like. You think grief should be you on the floor crying today. Mm. And do you know what your grief looks like? It looks exactly like you in this moment. Mm. There is nothing wrong with the way you're doing it. The way you're doing it is not a statement of your relationship. It's the way you're doing it today. I mean, And yeah. tomorrow, you may do it different. And the day after, you may do it different. But there's a subtle thing I'll often say to people, be careful to judge your feelings. And they'll go, I don't judge my feelings. And I'll go, wait a minute. If you're saying, why aren't I crying? You are subtly saying, 
these feelings I'm having today aren't the correct ones. Mm. And I'm here to tell you, they actually are the correct ones. Mm. Don't fight them. Your might, feelings will take you where you need to go. Totally. I mean, I've lost mm. a lot of sleep since two years ago. Like my sleeping pattern, maybe. Is that another way of dealing? Yep, absolutely. You know, and, but I also want to, especially, this is such an important topic. There's one piece I want people to understand. Love and grief are a package deal this lifetime. Hmm. Like you can't come to this planet and love another person without having grief. So when people go, why is this intense? Or why am I feeling this? Or whatever it may be. Because the love was that intense. Hmm. And sometimes, and I, you know, AJ, I don't happen to know what's going on with you in this moment, but this could be what your grief looks like. It also could be the pain is so intense, your mind is going, let's shut her down just a little bit for now until it can come out ever so slowly. Mm -hmm. And that's perfect. Nothing wrong with that. That's the grace of denial mm -hmm. that sometimes we need. Yeah, I think, yeah, that, that definitely sounds pretty spot on because again, you know, um, like, you know, there was a moment where I immediately compared it to in that moment that my brother-in-law walked to the top of the stairs in my house and told me that, that my stepdad had passed. Yes, it was a gut check. But when my grandmother passed, I literally collapsed like instantaneously. Mm -hmm. Now, granted she was in hospice at our apartment, which, uh, you know, if, if for anyone out there, if you've never experienced it, it's no walk in the park. It is not fun. Um, you know, and in, in retrospect, I kind of, in, in, in some, some parts of my brain, I wish I had never experienced that, but that's, that's just how it had to happen because of the situation. You were a lot closer to your grandmother, though. She oh, of course, raised of course, you, right? Of course. I mean, no, she did. She did. But I think for me, my relationship with my stepdad, you know, was amplified by the joy that I saw in my mother because she had literally been through the ringer with the dating world. She was 40 plus years old, still living at home with her son, single parent, you know, trying to get herself back out there in the world and being judged by my grandmother and my grandfather because, of course, as parents, nobody's good enough for our kids. We know that. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you right now, there's never going to be a boy good enough for either one of my girls. It's just never going to happen. Um, but there might be one that makes them happy, and as long as they treat them with the, with the utmost respect and they genuinely love them, then I'll love them too. But... Yeah, you know, I, I, I definitely feel I feel better now knowing after you saying that, that that, yeah, this could be the way I'm doing it today. Mm -hmm. You know, like my mom, you know, she literally today, uh, and I literally just had this conversation with Renee prior to us, you know, starting the podcast today. I said my mom went and picked up Tony's ashes today. Um, and, she's, and she told me she's actually doing better today. No, but I think it's that fact that she, that he's home now he's back home in some capacity, maybe not in the physical world, but he is home. And, you know, again, she, she's going back and forth. You know, uh, when I was there, I was showing her photos 
of my of my you know daughters of her of her grandchildren and out of nowhere she burst into tears like oh i wish tony could have seen this and then you know 10 minutes later i was showing her a funny tiktok video and she was laughing uncontrollably and she's like that's definitely something your father would have sent you know so yeah that that definitely brings me comfort in knowing that i'm i'm not doing it wrong you know uh, like man. there is no wrong way to grieve right and but, the same way you're yeah. having a moment of comfort with her you'll also grieve when you see her grieving oh a hundred percent you will I mean, take that pain on too yeah I, that that did happen briefly you know while while i was out there you know visiting with her we were on facetime with my youngest and she just out of the blue said grandma i'm really sorry that grandpa died and then my mom lost it my stepsister lost it. And then, of course, I'm the waterworks. I mean, it doesn't. If I see somebody bawling, chances are, you know, I'm going to start bawling, even if I don't especially know why they're your crying. Daughter. Yeah. Well, especially. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, you, you yeah. know, interestingly enough. So I lost two brothers and not far apart. And something you said, AJ, uh, I used to see people collapse to their, you know, to the floor. On, in the movies, I was like, come on, who does that? And when I got that call that my second brother got uh, killed in a car accident, I literally fell to my knees. But th what I was going to say is, interestingly enough, I grieved my different brothers differently. Mm. Right. Right. It was uh, for me, it was I was a lot closer to the first one. And it was a very codependent relationship. He was always depressed and I was always trying to rescue him. So we had, a, we'd see each other every day. The other one, we'd see each other once every couple months. So it took me, uh, it was a lot slower impact that he was gone. Cause I didn't, no, even maybe Hugo, right? Uh, AJ, who you mm -hmm. met a bunch of times, we wouldn't see each other very often. So it, there, there wasn't this void. Mm as it was with the one that I'd see every single day, you know? So I guess that impacted the pace and the impact. Can you numb, I guess, can you like not grieve right away? Can you run away from your feelings and then will it hit you stronger or will it be worse for when you finally come to have a come to Jesus that you have to go through this process? No punishment and grief. Okay. You know, if you don't know, feel right? it now, Funny how I relate to that. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, if you don't feel it now, it will just safely sit on the shelf waiting mm -hmm. for you. Got it. It won't become worse. But when it comes back, no one ever says, wow, this is a more convenient time. <laughs> it always yeah. comes Sucks. back like, yeah. oh, this so is not true. the best time. That's it's when so, it comes. Right. It's funny how so my true. mind just like tries to right. run away from my feelings, of course. Yeah. But for a reason, they're painful. They they're are painful. painful. Yeah. Yeah. David, I have a question for you. Um, personal question. Uh, sure. You know, you had mentioned that your son had passed away from uh, addiction. Um, how, how, how far advanced into as like what you know now about grieving and loss were you when this tragedy hit? Or was this kind of a, a double catalyst besides your your mother was this what really pushed you over the edge into really wanting to be helpful to others and understanding 
grief and loss? Yeah, I've been doing this for decades. And my younger son would, he'd been to my lectures. And I said to him, I said, David, you have to promise me I'm seeing so many bereaved parents who their child overdosed. Promise me that will never happen to you. And he goes, I know what I do, I'm doing. I promise it'll never happen. And as we all know, the drugs now are more deadly. You know, mm-hmm. things are laced with things now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember people always talked about relapse as a part of recovery. It's a little different now with the drugs being so lethal and you don't even know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And in his case, he had been sober for a year and him and his girlfriend had, a, you know, an argument that anyone has with their girlfriend at 21, called up some old friends, they went out and used. And in the most painful irony, he did what he used to do and didn't realize your body can't do that anymore when you've been sober. Happens so often. Right. And so, you know, it's brutal. And uh, so it did make me go deeper into this work. It also made me go deeper into mental health issues and death by suicide. It made me go deeper into addiction work and all those factors because, you know, it the world is so much more dangerous. Yeah, I mean- You know, I could, I could try to, you know, I could go out and just be an idiot when I was, you know, a kid and nothing bad would happen to me. Not anymore. No, you're absolutely right. It, the the fentanyl that's being pressed into counterfeit drugs, kids also think they're taking an OxyContin, but yet it's something that was made by someone in some lab in some warehouse. Garage put, or something, yeah. Put one too many grains in there. It, it's happening. I mean, that's right. how print, Prince died that right. way. Yeah, I mean, And so- a colleague of mine, Laura Berman, Dr. Laura Berman, who's on the Oprah Network, her son, literally 16 years old on Snapchat, <sighs> ordered something for his first time that was laced with fentanyl and died from Snapchat. Oh, gosh. Sorry yeah, for I mean, your loss, David. Just, yeah. just so you know a little bit more backstory about us, I probably it's a little late in the game to tell you, but just so you know, each of us is sober. Uh, we've all crashed and burned in our own way and had our own bottoms. Um, and we started this podcast to discuss mental health and recovery as well as living life on life's terms and hopefully by sharing our experience strength and hope that we've all dealt with and continue to deal with um we can maybe help others out there you know we're not doctors we don't have phds we're never gonna you know prescribe anything to anyone but hopefully there's some there's some parallels with each of our stories so you know again just you talking about your son and just talking, you know, all of us talking about what we've dealt with, uh, you know, hopefully will will raise an eyebrow or two out there. Because again, mental health, I feel up until recently, was just taboo. Nobody wanted to even talk about it. Nobody wanted to, to like make it make it what it should be, which is a focal point <laughs> um, globally. Because it isn't just you know, based in the U S or in Canada or in South America, it's, it's a global pandemic that has been around for centuries. 
and it's just been swept under the rug. And only till recently, I feel like it's finally becoming less the less the elephant in the room and more discussed both on from 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 the government's perspective to press media and films people are now talking about it and it, and 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 it, it 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 brings me joy to know that we're finally not afraid anymore to discuss something as as hor- as horrific as mental as mental health issues because it is it is horrible and it and it and it's 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 not going anywhere it's here you know so how do we and, cope with it right. yeah and how do by we the cope way i did know a bit about you all and your show and your backgrounds which is why i wanted to be here oh. and you know when i talk about that sixth stage of meaning you're literally doing that with this show mm. you're using your experience to bring hope, to bring meaning to others. And I think that's, you know, and I also believe helping is healing. Yes. You know, doing a service. I mean, you know, it's the thing that helps me the most in the world is being of service. Yeah. David, David, I, um, I touched upon it earlier, Mm -hmm. which uh, the different types of grieving, right? There's death, there's relationships. How are you, being impacted with your clientele, with the sort of grieving a pandemic, lockdown. It's, you know, this has been heavy for people, whether it's anxiety disorders, addiction, drinking, you name it, you know, because I do think there is a certain grieving that we're all doing, maybe grieving our freedoms. Right. So let's talk about the pandemic for a moment. You know, we often all come to this thinking grief is about death. But as you've said so spot on, no, grief can be about a pandemic. Grief can be a divorce, a breakup, a betrayal, a job loss, all those things. And the truth is we're collectively grieving. You know, the world we knew like just a year and a half ago where you could hug and go anywhere or do anything without worrying about, you know, is there something deadly on your hand or oh my gosh, she sneezed, are we going to be all right? It's like a crazy world we're suddenly in. And grief is always a change we didn't want. Yeah. So that divorce is a change we didn't want. The job loss, the pandemic. And the thing that people will sometimes, they'll go, well, which loss is the worst? And I always respond to that, yours. Mm. Your loss is the worst. Whatever you are dealing with is your worst loss. Not what I'm dealing with, what you're dealing Because, I, yeah, I do see uh, people, we are collectively grieving. I am certain of that. But I see people reacting differently, right? Whether it's some people are having violent reactions towards mm-hmm. vaccines, towards masks, toward, like, you know, it's just, so like, would you have any suggestions for anybody that feels like, like life has changed forever and it will never be the same and it will never be as good, which right. I, I think it's a myth, a myth mm. but. I agree. So I ask people to remove two words from the vocabulary, never and always. Mm. When someone goes, I'm never going to be happy again, or I'm always going to be in pain, I'll go, just think about today. Mm-hmm. Today you're in pain. Never is about the future. Always, I mean, we actually don't know 
in a month are we going to be in pain? I don't know. You don't know. Are we going to be happy? Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, just for me personally, between a mother dying, a shooting, everyone I've seen and worked with, my own son dying, I have moments of joy. Mm -hmm. I still have happiness. No matter what you've been through on this planet, happiness and joy are still possible. They're not easy. They're not mm-hmm. right away, but they are still possible. Yeah. Amen. What would you um, What would you say to someone? You know, I've I've seen this happen with a few friends of mine in the past, where somebody's grieving over the loss of a loved one, and then you know somebody comes at them with well, my situation is worse than yours. My pain is more, you know, you know, it's not comparable to mine. How, how do you, how do you handle, or how would you suggest handling a situation like that? Because again, like you said, my pain is different than your pain, but when competition or, you know, yeah. So, I mean, or, or, or do you think projecting is part of the process? Well, here's the thing, and it goes back to what we were saying earlier. First of all, the problem with comparing is if you win, you lose. I mean, who wants to even win that game? Second of all, you know, we don't have a broken head. We have a broken heart. And comparing is in our mind. So I tell people, your healing isn't going to take place in your mind. It's going to take place in your heart. Forget the comparing if you can. And the Mm. second thing to realize is the person that's going, can you believe Cheryl's getting all that attention when this happened to me? They're really saying, hey, you're all focusing on Cheryl, but I didn't get enough attention in my pain. I need help. It's actually a cry for help. I have a confession. I have a confession. So I remember... I'm not trying to make light of this because two dead brothers is not funny. But uh, so I lost one brother, lost a second brother. And then I remember when I met someone that lost three brothers, I felt like you just one up me. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, make, make, I'm kind of making light of it. But I got to tell you, humor is healthy. Yeah. Hmm. Humor is healthy. Yeah. So, you know, and the weird thing is, Back in the physical world, I would do these like, you know, big events in hotels where there'd be a few hundred people. And in the next meeting room, there'd be the CPAs and the next meeting room, the nurses. And after everyone left, the cleaning crew would come through and they'd go, hey, what were you talking about? And I go, why do you ask? And they'll go, because your group was laughing the most. And I'll go, oh, it was grief. And they'll go, grief. And what they couldn't understand is grief and pain increase your bandwidth. You deal with a pain you didn't know you could deal with, but it also increases your bandwidth for joy and happiness mm. and laughter. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's definitely my way of dealing with it because I, you know, I, again, my whole life I've never, I don't think I've ever dealt with death well, whether it's somebody I know or somebody I admired or, you know, a, uh, a role model. Um, but my, my knee jerk reaction is comedy. It's mm-hmm. laughter. It's, 
you know, like that's how I was when I was with, with my, with my mom this past week was any chance I, I got to make her laugh, whether it was reflecting back on something that my stepdad did or showing her a funny video or telling her a funny joke. Um, you know, my, my stepdad was kind of known for sending me very inappropriate, funny, weird videos and jokes that like, you know, the, the second I would get a text message from him, I would look to make sure my kids weren't around before I opened it. Cause I never knew what I was going to get. And, you know, talking about those things with her, it was good to see her laugh, but that's for me, that's how I, that's how I think I cope best with loss is through I think laughter. That's great. And that is your way. And there's nothing wrong with it. And I think it's, you know, we all do that. Whether we admit it or not, we all do that. And I think laughter through tears is a wonderful emotion. I just wanted to know more about your group tender hearts. Is that what it's called? Sure. So one of the things that came out of the pandemic is like all the grief groups closed. Mm. And so I thought, oh, we need to move it online. And then I went, I don't want to just move it online and say, let's Zoom. I want to do something different. And so I built Tender Hearts, which is a monthly program that people are in. And it's about the cost of having like two pizzas delivered. <laughs> and literally, we've got a town square where people share pictures and chat online. There's Zooms that are three to four times a week. I always say people come for me, but they stay for the community. We've had movie nights. We're doing a field trip online. It's really a crazy thing. And there's people there from all around the world and through all kinds of losses coming together and supporting one another, whether it's addiction or a death by suicide or a child, a parent, a spouse. So it's been this amazing new model for grief that I'm really proud of. That's awesome. Congrats. That's beautiful. That is, we need more people like you. And I was going to say, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to grieve the end of this podcast. Yeah. And yes. I, I, uh, I wish it could go on forever. Yes, David. Thank you so much for you guys. Uh, coming oh, on. You. And before we let you go, uh, can you please tell everyone out there where they can find you, whether sure. it's social media, website, please. tell everybody. Sure. They can go to grief.com. There's a free Facebook group. There's tender hearts. There's tons of free videos um, on social media. Look for me as I am David Kessler. It's the only name I could get. The other one was taken. <laughs> so I am David Kessler. You'll find me there Thank and grief.com. Thanks so Thank much you for, for all your work. For Thank you. Thank, Thank you for taking you so the time to join us. You helped me. You, you, you helped me and all of us a lot. Yes, so thank absolutely. you. Yes, anytime, sure. anytime I'm here for you guys. Thank you for your work. Appreciate Thank it, man. You, Thank David. you. Cheers. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world. 
until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I think there's something people are really interested in. AJ, I heard you got some new tattoos. I know you got new <laughs> tattoos. Can you share them with us? Okay, I will, as long, actually. As long as we're talking about grief. <laughs> yeah, okay, well. So, um, went and got some new ink. Uh, mm-hmm. I got a... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Renee. It's a Japanese proverb, right? It's Japanese. not Chinese. It's a Japanese. Japanese proverb. Yes, sir. Uh, I got tattooed right here on the inside of my arm. Uh, that is are, are literally words I tend to live by for the mm-hmm. rest of my days, which is true victory is victory over oneself. Nice. Um, what is funny, though, is my tattoo artist and I sat for about 20 minutes deciphering if the word oneself is actually a word or it's two words. It is one word. It's one. For yeah. all, yes. Because well, you know when you look at a no, word yeah, and, totally. and, it, and it doesn't look yeah. right? Yes. It doesn't look right. And yeah, like... It, yeah. I just I, I just had to triple check because I don't want okay. this on my arm for the rest of my days. And people are like, this dude can't spell. That's He's funny. dumbass. And the other two, which I'll so gladly show you. Renee just wants me to lift up my shirt. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do. Hold, okay, so hold on. Here we go. Hold on. Right. So right here, it Ouch, says, I, sexy. It says Dang, I love you, sexy. Dad. And over here it says, I love you, Daddy, oh. in both of my daughter's handwriting. Um, 
But side note, so Lyric, my youngest, she's still she's just now learning how to you know write her letters. So she asked me if I could do the dots that she could trace. So the dots are there that she traced, but her D at the end of Dad looks more like an O. So <laughs> it's I love you, Dow. Okay, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I love works. you, Dow. I know. Aww. Did that hurt? Because the ribs. Hurt. Uh, you know what? The after about the first two minutes, the I think my adrenaline was so spiked, I yeah. didn't I didn't really feel it. And there's no shading or anything involved, so right, right, right. you know, okay. it's That's it's single needle. Though. Shout Thanks out, shout out to East, uh, over at uh, Shamrock Tattoo. Thank you so much. For this and make amazing, sure you check out our Instagram for um, Renee's picture and his uh, uh, tank top, <laughs> tank top, no, nip slip. Post that, yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you so much to our amazing, amazing guest, thank Mr. You. David Kessler. He was awesome. Um, and my go, heart goes out to you, AJ. Seriously, uh, thank you, and thank you, you and your family. And um, go check out David's new book, Finding Meaning, at Amazon.com. Uh, and for more in- info on David's groups and workshops, visit grief.com. Uh, again, thank you, everybody. Uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Give us five yes. stars. We love you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Love Bye. you guys. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks. scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.